0: Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis.
1: Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 406. We got Brenda Bailey-Hughes back, and this time we're talking listening. So you'll learn one, the sad current state of listening. Two, how to fall in love with silence in a conversation. And three, the five focus areas of listening. So if you wanna check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, it's over at job.com slash F406. Now here's Brenda's Storey. Brenda Bailey Hughes teaches communication and leadership skills at the Kelly School of Business Undergrad Program at Indiana University. She also teaches global leadership and emerging markets for Kelly Direct, the Working Professionals MBA Program. She's authored nine LinkedIn learning courses and specializes in communication training and coaching for Fortune 500 executives such as Procter & Gamble, Samsung, Cummins, and John Deere. So thanks to Brenda for sharing some time with us and thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free Now, here's Brenda. Brenda, welcome back to the How To Be Awesome At Your Job podcast.
2: Thank you, Pete. Thanks for having me back.
1: Oh, well, I'm excited to get into it. You know, it's funny. The subject of listening came up as something important. And wouldn't you know it, one of our favorite guests, you, happens <laughs> to have done a whole course on it. So that's easy. <laughs> Let's make this happen.
2: That's right. My colleague Tatiana and Kolavu and I did a course in the LinkedIn library. And we loved that course. We have a good time with that.
1: That's good. Well, I want to hear a little bit about how you listen to yourself. I love the forced segues. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I learned that uh, you have been doing journaling since you were in third grade. Can you tell us a little bit about what's the story here?
2: Sure, sure. So as a little, I started looking back the other day to see how long have I been journaling? And I found they weren't even journals back then. They were diaries. They're little, you know, like they have rainbows and unicorns and little locks on them with little plastic keys. <laughs> and so clear back to third grade as a little girl, and I'm, I'm not going to reveal to your listeners how old I am, but this is decades and decades and decades and decades and decades of, of journaling. And so, um, yeah, it started with as probably someone gave me a gift of a, a diary and I started writing and kind of, uh, Felt good about that and liked what I was doing and felt um, that my ideas were clearer and my thoughts were more sorted out when I wrote. And so just continued this habit throughout my adult life. And now journal. If someone asks me now, why do you journal? And I say it's sanity because it it really is for me the place to put all the, the thoughts that swirl around endlessly into one place and get them sorted out and get the mind a bit stiller.
1: That's excellent. Well, I'd be curious, when you crack open these journals with the rainbows and, and, the, and the <laughs> unicorns from third, fourth grade, what do you discover? Or have, do you see any interesting themes in your life that have been present from your youngest years?
2: Oh, that's a great question. I, um, th- the early ones are, you know, who did I have a crush on? What teacher am I mad at? What did mom or dad say that was a horrible thing to say to me? You know, they're just, they're really just childhood memories. And, and I was about to throw them away. And then I kept reading and I'm reading like child scrawl too. So it's not even easy to read because my handwriting was such a mess as a, a second and third grader. But then I stumbled on a page where I'm talking about, there's a coal mining strike. And so we've turned the heat down at home and at school and we're using candle lights to conserve energy. And I thought, hey, these are historical documents at this point, mm. I'm not getting rid of this. But um, there's less of that than there is just the ramblings of a third grader. And then I think the, the themes that emerge as an adult are interesting in, in the fact that there are themes. So you can see me write on something for a year, sort of uh, working through something And I think that the journaling, you can't keep writing about something day in and day out and day in and day out without sort of finally feeling inspired to go take action in your life. So I think the theme for me is to see that I have this sort of three month rhythm, like I will talk and think and write about something for three months, and then I take an action and I'm on to a new thing for another three months of pondering. So for me, it was just discovering my own rhythms in life to some extent and getting comfortable with that. That if I'm mulling something over for what seems like an endless amount of time, it's probably not endless, but I probably am coming up on my three-month window of, okay, y- your action is going to follow pretty soon.
1: Interesting. Yeah. Well, that's a cool pattern to have identified. So it'll be interesting to see over the course of the remaining years of life, if that continues and how you can anticipate all the better.
2: Right, right. Right. And you said you love the forced transitions, but it's, if I do, I do see it as a, it really, the journaling really is connected to listening because by getting thoughts out of my head and onto the page where I can get clearer, I can get clarity about them. It does still my mind and, and having a, a singular focus when we're listening does make us better listeners. So that journaling work does help me improve my listening.
1: mm uh-huh. Let's talk about listening, shall we? Yes. I'd like to start with, I think a lot of folks may assume that they already listen just fine or that there's no need to learn or study or be trained in listening. Could you make the case for us for why ought we learn more about listening?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that you've hit on one of the common misconceptions about listening and that is that listening is the same thing as hearing. So it's sort of like, well, I, we all hear, you know, unless there's a, a hearing um, disability in our lives, we were born hearing. So why do I need training on this? But that is a physiological process, right? That's drum your eardrums hitting on certain bones, and that that's all physiological. Listening is not the same thing as hearing. It is what we do with what the ears can hear. It's the processing, the interpretation, the decisions about how to judge, evaluate, how to store what we're hearing into our long-term or short-term memory. All of that is listening. And that is a skill set. And just like any other skill set, like when you learn to ride a bike or when you learn to use Excel, it is a skill set to be learned to be improved. And so I think that misconception that we all know how to do it is is you're absolutely right. One of the, the places we have to argue with ourselves to get inspired to learn more about listening. And then because maybe maybe because we confuse it and think we know how to do it, it is the least taught of all the communication related skills. So when you think communication you've got reading, writing, speaking and listening. And if I were to ask you right now you know how many years of reading did you study? Well, you know, all the way through elementary and junior high and high school, we're we're in we're immersed in reading and writing classes. Most of us have even had a speaking class, at least um, a, a workshop or two in speaking. But then when I say to people, how many listening courses have you had? Screech, you know, no hands go up, it's sort of mums the word. So it's the least taught of all of the communication-related skills. And yet it is the most used. So the U.S. Department of Labor tracks what percentage of our time we spend in different aspects of our work. And 55% of the typical professional's job is spent in listening, not 55% of their communication time. So Uh of your reading, writing, speaking, and listening time, 55% of that is listening. and, And it goes up as you go up the ladder. So a managerial level employee is spending upwards of 63% of her time, 63% of her communication time listening. So most used, least taught, that's, that's our use case. That's why we need to really practice and dig into improving our listening skills.
1: Oh, that's intriguing. And Brenda, I love it when you bring the numbers. So thank you for that. <laughs> and maybe I'd love it if I could put you on the spot for maybe some more in terms of sort of what is the state of the quality of listening, you know, these days? I don't even know how you would measure that exactly. But are there any noteworthy anecdotes or audience surveys or research bits that have been done on this? Like these days, does the typical professional listen excellently, terribly, acceptably? You know, where would you peg it? Well, if you're thinking about recall as a test of listening, then
2: we do have some stats on that. So we know that if you watch the nightly news, and then we ask you to recall what you hear, you're going to have about a 17%, one seven, 17% recall. Okay. So, it, to the, so let's imagine now Now we don't know because we haven't done this elsewhere, but let's imagine that that number extrapolates. That means that when you go into your next meeting, and everything that everyone says they feel is important, you're only remembering 17% of it. Or, you know, you're having a conversation with your spouse tonight, and something really important is getting shared, and you walk away and remember 17% of it. That to me says, oh, I think we could get better at this.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's intriguing. And I wonder, you know, talk about the extrapolation on the one hand, folks might say, hey, Nightly News, I don't really care that much. But on the other hand, There's so many ways to consume news. If you decide to turn on the nightly news, you must be semi-invested in watching the nightly news.
2: Right. Well, and I would argue that at some of my faculty meetings, I'm also not all that invested, but nonetheless, (laughs) maybe I should be is the issue here. Because while I might not be invested in the subject matter, I am invested in those people. And if I'm not Invested in their communication and what they want to share, how truly supportive and invested am I being in the relationship itself? Mm
1: -hmm. Okay, that's great. Thank you. Thought provoking. And so now I kind of want to get your sense of so if we think we're listening well, but in fact, the recall is maybe around 17%, where's the gap coming from? Mm -hmm. Like, what is the holdup exactly?
2: Some of it is that we have trained ourselves to listen only in order to prepare a response. So if as I'm listening to someone, I am I catch myself already deciding how I will reply, I'm not really listening. I may be pretending like I'm listening. I may have listened to enough to decide, okay, I get it. I know what you're saying. I'm going to cut you off now so that I can plan my response. But I think that's one of those ways that we sort of deceive ourselves into thinking that we're listening or that we're a great listener. And then, oops, lo and behold, maybe we're in that 17% recall list. I think another uh, space where we fool ourselves into listening is confirmation bias. So I'm really only listening to enough of what is being said in the room to confirm what I already thought was true. And that if you start saying something that contradicts or makes me feel a little "Eh," like, wait, that, that doesn't feel right. That's not what I've always thought. Then I have all sorts of subtle ways that I just start tuning you out or twisting your words to make them mean what I want them to mean. So a a classic example would be when my kids were still at home and they're teenagers there, I come home, they're sprawled in front of the TV or a video game or whatever and I say, hey, you should t- start your homework soon. Now, what does the teenager think soon means?
1: <laughs> Not now. <laughs> And right. maybe whenever I feel like.
2: It. Exactly. And what does "soon" mean to Mama?
1: <laughs> uh, within ten minutes, it should be initiated.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking now is what <laughs> "soon" meant to me. But okay, we'll give it ten minutes. Versus there, you know, when I'm done with this game, when I'm done with this show, before I go to, you know, that's because that's what the teenager wants to hear. Is how they, how how that teenage the teenagers want to define "soon," and so that's how they interpret the word "soon" to to me what, what it should mean. So I think that's confirmation bias, listening for what we expect to hear and sort of interpreting to confirm what we already expect are certainly some of the, the listening gaps that exist. And social media has made that even easier for us. We, we read about that, the echo chamber kind of concept that we're really not even exposed all that much to anyone who contradicts us because our social media bubbles, pull us inward more and more and more to our own biases to begin with. But then if you take that echo chamber, and even within it, if if a little bit of contradictory information or not even contradictory, just new, and it doesn't have a place to slide into our neatly um, organized mental habits, we go, mm, Never mind. I just don't see that. I don't hear that. I don't, I don't want to deal with that. And it just sort of gets scooched away. So I guess that leads us to one of our really important learning concepts is to push ourselves to seek out disconfirming information, you know, to stay in the room long enough to say, Okay, we've talked about all the reasons this is a good idea. I think it's a good idea. Give me three reasons that it could blow up. What are you know? What are the three things? What are the three risks we're not looking at, and how do we mitigate those? I think that's an important part of a professional's responsibility and keeping a really open mind and being a good listener.
1: Mm-hmm. That's excellent. Well, so I'd love it then if we could talk about some more of these practices, and maybe even before we go into the details, can you lay out What then become all the benefits of listening masterfully as opposed to just sort of like at a typical base level of listening to respond or listening to confirm what we already know? I guess one natural consequence would be that you're making better decisions because you're getting all of the all the information that you might not have gotten. What are some other key benefits that come about if you Mm -hmm. are a masterful listener?
2: I love that phrase, masterful listener. I'm totally going to steal that oh, from my listening do. classes. And masterful listeners, they, they are business winners, right? I mean, and they are relational winners. So a lot. Dr. Nichols was one of the founding researchers in the, the discipline of listening. And he was originally a college, or maybe it was even high school debate teacher and a debate coach. So he had debate teams. And what he started noticing is that the teams who were winning debate after debate after debate and had access to the same research and the same coaching in terms of how they presented, the real distinguishing difference was that these debate teams that listened really, really well could then parse through the opposing team's arguments so much more clearly and make a a much better argument or a rebuttal that they were debate winners. So we've got debate winning and, and all of us have our share of debates, whether we call them that or not. We have these moments in our lives all the time where we're trying to influence others, get people to see things our way. Even just you know getting friends to go to the movie that you want to go to, if you're really listening to what that friend is saying, you'll start to understand more of why they're arguing for another movie and how you might be able to shift their position a little bit. So we have some influence around that. I've seen lots of examples of where um, people land clients and projects and business wins because of good listening skills. Just uh, recently, a a client of mine... um, we had done the business that we had established and I was trying to win a little bit more business and it was kind of still just out there in the uh, in the open space. We hadn't locked anything down yet. I'm sure that he was and the company was looking at some other consultants to do some work with them as well. But I had listened so carefully to him that then when I stumbled on a uh, a TED talk of another person talking, I thought, oh, this sounds so much like Kyle, I'll call him Kyle, uh, and I sent it to Kyle and said, Hey, this sounds like you. This sounds like the strategy you were talking about in your industry. And I get an email ping right back. Just, Oh my gosh, you totally get me. Thank you. I, well, I, to be honest, Pete, I, this industry, it's energy and it's very confusing to me. And I still don't really understand. The strategy that he had been promoting, but I had listened enough to know what he sounds like, and could then make these connections, and and you know, sure enough, that lands <laughs> the business. So yeah, he
1: says you really get me. Like I actually I don't, but I'll, no, <laughs>
2: I'll I have no idea. But, <laughs> <laughs> but apparently enough that I can that I got my foot in the door here, and I'll I'll figure it out from there. But we also have on, on a personal level, you know, you talk to marriage therapists or relationship counselors and frequently they say that bad listening is at the root of many of the dysfunctional relationships that they interact with and that that, that the flip side that sort of really good listening skills is what bolsters our relationships both personally and professionally. So if we're looking for wins, you know, they're, they're like you said, the good decision-making it's around our influence wins. It's around landing business. Those wins come with good listening and our relationships are better when we are good listeners. Those are the benefits.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, that sounds well worth it. So, well, let's discuss. Now you mentioned one of the problems is that we listen to respond. And so I guess I'm thinking if We have some diehard listeners to responders in the crowd. It's sort of like, well, if I'm not formulating my response while they're talking, are we going to have a weird silence? (laughs) You know, we are. Yes. Tell us about that.
2: Yes. We're going to get comfortable with that. We're just, we are going to get comfortable with, hmm. And you're fidgeting because you're like, oh my gosh, no dead airspace. In fact, Pete's in his mind right now thinking, well, I got to edit out that little three second pause. We're keeping
1: it. Charlie and company, (laughs) we're keeping Every half second of that please
2: <laughs> but I think we can use what are called verbal encouragers we, use, we want to use those when someone is speaking to us and uh, different people if, if you've uh, studied introversion and extroversion one of the attributes of an introvert is they tend to listen in silence so I encourage the introverts that are that are listening to us today Pete to say, Mhm, oh, yeah, a little bit more as they 're listening, just those little verbal reinforcers or encouragers to let people know that you are listening, make sure you 're nodding, those kinds of things. but then, where we all feel though that we have to talk is when the other person has signaled that they're done it's it's my turn now, and you you, you demonstrate that with a little pause or a Uh, an upward inflection that kind of hands the baton over to me. And we just need to learn to go, hmm, let me think. Yeah. And then respond in that and give myself that pause. Because what I'm likely to say is going to be so much more respectful because it will paraphrase back perhaps what the person has said. And it shows that I've really listened all the way through to the end.
1: Well, in a way, you're right. Like if there's no transition, it's a little bit fuzzy it's sort of like uh are you still there especially when you're on the phone or, or like a you know digital medium it's like hey uh everything, you, everything still okay over there you know but I think I love that phrase hmm let me think or maybe it's something along those lines like oh, I'm considering what you've just said and then you're silent for a few seconds like in a way you might have a hard time getting away with that in like a six-person you know meeting or something but one-on-one I think that that could just be amazing because they're like, nobody ever thinks about what I say for several seconds. That's awesome. I appreciate (laughs) that. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, that's nice. And so then you're getting okay and you're getting comfortable with the silence with those encourager words. What did you call them?
2: Mm -hmm. Verbal encouragers.
1: Yes, verbal encouragers. I think that sometimes maybe it's more of an extrovert problem. When people give me their verbal encouragers like too much or too fast, or like when I haven't completely finished the word, like they say, mm-hmm, like before I like finished saying <laughs> the word, I don't like it. <laughs> I, I don't know yeah. why I don't know how to interpret what I'm feeling or what value or meaning I'm putting onto it. I almost maybe feel like I'm being rushed, maybe. Yeah. Or like it's a show. It's like, are you actually listening? Or are you just Following like a script, like where you, I'm talking to a robot who would like say every seven <laughs> seconds I'm supposed to say, mm-hmm, uh, you know, <laughs> as opposed to like timing your hmm's after I have a pause and a breath and a sentence and a phrase.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely.
1: So you've encountered that as well, the over encourager.
2: Yes, absolutely, and I, I think you're right. We see it with people who know they're supposed to do that, or they just kind of want you to get through what you're saying. So you're talking, and I'm going, uh huh, uh huh. <laughs> uh, but I'm, I'm rushing, you know, all I'm doing is saying, get through this so that it can be my turn to talk or so I can leave or whatever, you know. So, yeah, you're right. The intent behind it probably does matter because it it does manifest differently. The verbal encouragers that I'm encouraging you to hurry up, th- that sounds different and that feels different to the person speaking than a true, mm-hmm, huh, yeah, uh, kind of that varied encouragers that are in sync with the words that are
1: being spoken.
2: That's that's the kind of verbal encourager that works.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, hey, did I do it too early? I hope not. No, it was perfect. Because <laughs> I really was ready to ask a new question, but I also felt like I got what you were saying.
2: <laughs> you did, you did, exactly.
1: Okay, good. It's like, boy, it's like so meta. I'm like self-conscious now. <laughs>
2: Well, okay, so let me put us at ease. People who, a spontaneous conversation, when the conversationalists leave and we ask them to rate their experience and they say, oh, it was awesome. It was spontaneous. It was good. I felt good about that conversation. When we go back and do a tracking of the conversation, there is overlap. So there are those moments when the, fir- the second speaker starts speaking before the first speaker has completely ended. So I'm, I'm relieving you of that, that s- self-consciousness if we overlap, mm-hmm. because that right. is a part of it. I'm thinking more of when you know we're in those meetings or we're, we're doing a deep l- listening dive to someone who's sharing very deeply about an issue in their lives or with their, with their work. And that's when I think we need to get comfortable with the pause. It's when we catch our brains formulating a response so that we don't have a pause, that's when we've got to get comfortable with it so we're not doing that, so that we stay tuned in to our speaker.
1: Well, so if you're listening and the goal is not to formulate a response, what should the new goal be and the internal questions you're asking yourself and the focus that you choose when you are not talking and someone else is talking?
2: Right. Well, I I would say these get into the, the, what I call the five focus areas of listening. So the questions I'm asking myself, that internal dialogue, if it's not to formulate my response, what, what should it be? It depends on what kind of listening I've set out to do. So, for example, depending on what kind of a situation I'm facing, what kind of conversation this is, I need to listen differently. Sometimes I need to listen to recall the details. Sometimes I just need to listen for the big picture. Sometimes I need to evaluate the content. Sometimes I need to pay attention to the nonverbals, And sometimes I need to listen to empathize. So if we use this podcast, for example, I think listening for the details. While I know you love your stats and you love it when I bring the numbers, that's probably not the most important listening here. You know, you don't, it doesn't really matter at the end of the day, whether the U S department of labor tells us we spend 55 or 56% of our time, our communication time listening, you know, but you wanted that big picture. You wanted to be able to end the, the podcast and go, okay, I get it. We spend more time listening than any other communication piece, and yet we have the least training on it. You know, that's the big picture. And I would think that's what you're listening for as you listen today, or maybe even some of that evaluating of the content. You know, there's a part of your brain that needs to be going. Okay. Is my guest today just talking crazy stuff? Or is there some legitimacy and some credibility behind this? Because you have to decide, am I going to publish this? Am I going to roll this out? Do I need to di- do? I need to push back and ask some more questions to find out where this research or this claim came from? What's the research, the data supporting it? So maybe there's a little bit of an evaluative mindset to how you're listening. Definitely some big picture thinking. But you know, if we go on through the rest of your day, And what are some of the rest of the things on your calendar today, Pete? We'll we'll look at what kinds of listening you should
1: be doing the rest of your day. Oh, sure. Well, another podcast interview, talking to an accountant about some treatment of things.
2: (laughs) Now that recalling details suddenly might become pretty important because when the accountant says, oh, you know, you got to do this here and you've got, can't do that here that we need to, those are, that's a detail oriented listening. So, so you're going to kick into a totally different mindset when you go to your accountant meeting than you have with me and your, your next guest up. Uh, What else is on your calendar today? Well, you know, then
1: I guess there's just sort of quiet work in terms of at the computer and wrapping things up.
2: What's the evening look like? Going home, going to have some dinner?
1: Yeah, hanging out with uh, wife and baby and chatting.
2: Okay. And wife and baby, we don't want you in evaluative content or, or even necessarily recalling the details. I mean, depending on, you know, now if you and the spouse are talking about dates that would need to be on the say? calendar. <laughs> right, right. And what is your calendar? But if she's just telling you what happened during your day and what cute things happened with the baby and then I mean you're all about listening to pay attention, to be attuned to her nonverbals and to empathize with how your speaker is feeling. That's the shift you want to make. And so a, a huge part of listening effectively is thinking through what kind of listening is called for in this moment, in this conversation, at this meeting and then pulling out the stops, all about that type of listening.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, so that's excellent in terms of just getting yourself in the right sort of brain space in terms of what am I stepping into this conversation? What are my goals and how am I going to choose to listen? I guess if I'm thinking about me personally, coming from a strategy consulting background and intense podcast listening associated with, okay, what are the things people need to do in order to become awesome at their job? Like give me the goods and give me the, high leverage, high impact stuff that's relatively easy to do, like a nice bit of leverage is kind of what gets me fired up. So I guess I have maybe less intense practice at the listening for the sort of emotional empathy stuff. And we had a great conversation previously with Aaron Levy about just how powerful that is for employees who feel Mm -hmm. like you really understand them you really get them because you are conveying that so well. So can we go deeper into this one in terms of what's going on in your brain and how are you being as you are listening to understand really where someone's coming from, what they're feeling and the emotions and such? Sure.
2: And, and I think this is an important piece. So for you, Pete, and maybe for your listeners that you've heard from, you're saying it's this emotional listening, empathy listening. I would have other people that I've coached that say it's that big picture. I get so caught up in the weeds. I, I, I'm taking down copious notes. I've got three pages of notes, but I can't tell you what any of it meant. What, you know, so I think it's a sort of a, it's a, it's a fairly personal self-reflection that needs to happen to identify where is my weakest area? Um, What's my strongest so that I know to leverage that, but where, which of these areas can I really build out and develop a little bit better? I think that's going to be a pretty personal choice and people need to do some soul searching to figure that out. Maybe even ask some friends who will be really honest and candid with with you about it of these, where, where do you feel like I'm strong and where do you feel like I kind of fall down a bit? So, um, but, but to the empathizing piece, I think that the two empathy, empathy and listening in an attuned way kind of go hand in hand. So when I'm thinking about attuning, it's, it's I'm, I'm asking myself, what can I see that I can't hear? So the speaker is, is saying these words and I'm, I'm listening to those and I'm tracking on those and I'm, I'm trying not to prejudge those or allow those to come through my mental filter of, or confirmation bias. I'm really just trying to hear what the speaker's saying. But what can I see that I can't hear? Is the speaker squirming in his chair when he said it? Is he wringing his hands? Is Are his eyes lighting up and his voice starting to spark when he talks about that subject? So what can I see that I can't hear? I think is a driving question for me when I'm really trying to listen for that emotional piece. And in fact, one of the ways I teach people and I've done this to practice listening for the nonverbal is to watch a television program that you're not really familiar with And turn the volume off and then just see after you watch the characters and you watch the interaction, you know, watch a 30 minute sitcom or a one hour drama or something, and then figure out what, what was your best guess as to what the plot line was and, and what the relationships were between the characters and who was feeling what kind of emotion at the different parts in the movie and then, or the show, and then go back on, you know, replay on Netflix, watch it again and see how close you were. And that's a great training mechanism for forcing yourself to start tuning in to the nonverbals. And then after you do that for a while, you'll find yourself walking into a meeting and lo and behold, you're paying attention to who's make, you know, glaring at whom, who's starting to feel bored with which subjects, who's excited by which subjects. And that is rich intel to know that those kinds of things. So that's that attuning piece. And then the empathizing piece is the driving question there is not what is my speaker saying, but how is my speaker feeling? How does the speaker feel? And I think one of the best ways to train ourselves to do this and simultaneously show people that we're doing this is paraphrasing back both the content and the emotions that we think we're hearing. So, you know, this is when we kind of say, well, okay. This is, what, this is what I'm getting, this is, this is what I think I heard you say, or correct me if I'm wrong, this is, this is what I heard. And, and when I say back what I heard, it's like, I, I think you're, you're really frustrated about blah, 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 blah. So I've captured frustrated, the emotional tone, as well as the content. And that makes the person that you're
1: talking to just feel so heard, so listened to. And I'm curious with regards to when you identify an emotion, What's the downside risk if you're wrong? You know, like if you said, it seems like you're frustrated. They're like, no, I'm not frustrated. I'm just resigned because I don't care anymore.
0: Yeah.
1: Nothing I do makes any impact whatsoever. I guess those are kind of close, frustrated and resigned. But you might be, no, I'm enraged, Brenda. (laughs) i not frustrated.
0: Right. I guess it's just
1: very frustrated is enraged. I mean, no, Brenda, I'm very sad actually.
2: Right. Yeah. But that's great that they would say that. And because then you have had, because you would have left thinking frustrated and then you find out by, by clarifying, oh no, it's resigned. Oh, well, I have different things to say to you now that I know you're just feeling defeated and resigned and depleted by this. I thought you were still frustrated and agitated, but no, you're in a different space. And that's important to me because how I'm going to reach you when you're resigned is pretty different than how I would reach you if you're irritated, agitated, frustrated, or enraged or sad. Um, and so I think that moment of clarification is, is perfectly fine. It's not as if you failed in the guessing game. <laughs> it's You won because you threw it out there. You You got some feedback that you'd missed it just slightly. And so now you are on board. And once again, engaging in that process of here's what I think. Oh no. Oh, it's this. Oh, thank you. Okay. I get it. Yes. Resign. I would feel that I, that I could see myself feeling that too. That again, allows you to wrap your speaker in this wonderful blanket of,
1: of, of comfort and of, of knowing because I heard you. And as I imagine this, you know, fictitious conversation, I think the guessing game, if you will, if you get it wrong, I think you're still winning points in that it shows that you cared enough to take a stab at it. And the other person says, you know, this person seems to give a darn about my feelings. And even though they're wrong, I appreciate that because a lot of people don't bother to take the time.
2: Right, most so often the listening response is autobiographical. Yeah, well, yeah. When that happened to me, I felt blah 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 blah. Now I've ta- I've I've co opted the whole conversation and made it about me. That is a response we're so accustomed to hearing that if you've stayed with me, you've kept the focus on me, even if you got it wrong just a little bit. It's still about me, so I'm still feeling pretty treasured at the end of the day.
1: <laughs> hmm, I like that. Well, Brenda, could you share, as we're kind of approaching the end, are there any sort of top do's, don'ts, favorite phrases or scripts that are super handy when it comes to listening? Oh,
2: yeah. Uh, Let's see. I think that one of the top do's is getting rid of distractions. Put your phone down. Show those nonverbal attentive listening skills. We all know what they are. We know them when we, when someone does it for us, they nod, they lean in, they make eye contact, the, the verbal encouragers that we talked about. When we do that, the person talking feels heard and our own minds kind of follow the body. Like, okay, my body is tuned in to this person. So I guess my mind says, okay, I'll tune in too. So I think being nonverbally attentive. Showing really good nonverbal listening behaviors can certainly enhance our listening and how well the other person feels. So that I think is a great, is a great piece. I love Marshall Goldsmith's article, um, the one skill that listening is the one skill that separates. And he talks about make the other person feel as though she is the only person in the room. And when we can do that at a meeting and a coaching session and, you know, whatever, Wow, that's that is great listening right there.
1: Uh-huh. And so any other key phrases that you think are, are super handy?
2: Well, for appropriate responses, trying to stay out of the, the autobiographical and instead practice the paraphrasing. If if we can say back what we've heard I think that's a key phrase in our listening. So being careful with it, of course, when I first learned about paraphrasing, I decided I'm going to paraphrase everything everybody says for a while. So I came home that night after my listening workshop and my husband said, hey, it looks like, you know, it's about dinner time. It's a little after six. And I said, so I hear you expressing a curiosity about the time, you know, and he's like, what is happening? So, so paraphrasing appropriately, not just, uh, you know, mocking or parroting someone, but really trying to to put our best understanding into it. I think those are great phrases to use as well.
1: All right, lovely. Well, now I'd love to hear about your favorite things once again, maybe there's some new things.
2: Oh, okay.
1: So could you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring?
2: Yes, but I'm gonna do a listening one. Let's do, you have two ears, one mouth, there's a reason, act like it.
1: All right, thank you.
2: Two ears, one mouth, there you go.
1: (laughs) And a favorite study or experiment or bit of research?
2: Daniel Goldman and Richard Davidson. It was an October 2017 behavioral scientist article on mindfulness practices. It's the one where they talk about eight minutes of mindfulness practice will cause less mind wandering. And if you do that eight minutes for two weeks the The mind wandering stops so much that you have better focus. You have more working memory. People's GRE scores were even going up. I think that's a great piece of research to link back to our listening. That if we can just practice eight minutes of sort of meditative mindfulness, um, I, I love. A, I, I try to practice my eight minutes in the afternoon. I remember Elizabeth Gilbert, the author, one time saying that she practiced eight minutes of mindfulness in the afternoons that a purist might call it a nap, but for her, she was calling it mindfulness. I love that. Um, so my eight minutes of napping or mindfulness, whatever you want. But I do think that that practice stops the mind from wandering. And when we teach our minds to focus, then we become better listeners. So that's a great piece of research for for so many different reasons. Goldman and Davidson.
1: Oh, thank you. And how about a favorite book? Let's again, let's do a listening book.
2: and no judging here but my favorite listening book right now is called um listen listen little bear or i have a little problem said the bear and it's amelia hardman so you can get this for for your son and it's about the little bear who goes around trying to tell people about his problem. But everybody is so set on fixing it and telling and advising him and coaching him that he never really gets to talk about his problem. And I actually purchased this little children's book and give it to a lot of the managers that I coach on how to be good good coaches. Because as soon as we move into telling other people to do it, we've stepped out of coaching mode.
1: Oh, that's good. You know, it's funny when you said no judgment here. It's like, that's a good name for a listening book. <laughs> <laughs>
2: No, I was just warning you. Don't
1: judge that my favorite book right now is a kid book. (laughs) No, that's totally fine. Totally fine. And a favorite tool, something that helps you be awesome at your job.
2: Mm. 30-day listening action plan. So I schedule out 30 days. I look at a meeting or an event or something on my calendar for 30 straight days and, and make a notation in my digital calendar so that when I see the event, I also see my note about my listening habit. So last month I was working on paraphrasing. So right next to it for 30 different appointments on 30 different days, it said paraphrasing, just as my reminder. The week, Mm. the month before that, I was working on not interrupting. So for 30 straight days, I found an appointment or an engagement or a conversation on my calendar where I really wanted to practice that skill. So 30 day listening happens, yeah.
1: Oh, that's clever. Very good. And is there a particular nugget you share that really seems to connect and resonate with listeners, readers, clients? Learners.
2: Yeah, it's that Goldsmith quote. Make the other person feel they're the only one in the room. That really resonates with people. I get that people will come back to me and and mention that years after we've had a coaching conversation around
1: listening. Mm -hmm. And if folks want to learn more, get in touch, where would you point them?
2: Hit me up on LinkedIn. Follow me on LinkedIn. Would love to have conversations on LinkedIn about listening and whatever else is on your mind.
1: Mm -hmm. And do you have a final challenge, or call to action for folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs?
2: Yes. 30-day challenge. Do it.
1: Do it. All right.
2: <laughs> 30 days of listening. Put it on your calendars. Come up with one skill, uh, a listening skill that you think you want to want to improve and go after it for 30 straight days. You'll be awesome at your job when you're done.
1: Mm-hmm. Perfect. Well, Brenda, this has been a good time once again. Thanks for sharing the goods and I hope you have many excellent conversations you enjoy listening to and that you just keep on doing what you're doing. It's a real treat.
2: You too, Pete. Thank you so much for having me back.
1: I really enjoyed Brenda's take on if you're not listening to respond, you're going to have a silence. That's okay. And it may even be beneficial for the relationship. So someone's talking, talk, 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 talk. And then there's a silence for a second. And you say, I'm just thinking about what you've just said. And then it continues. And it might be a little weird, uncomfortable, and different, but it could make the other person feel amazing. Like, wow, you are really listening and thinking and considering. And most people don't really do that. And I remember even I had some experiences working with some colleagues who did that from time to time. And I was like, oh, wow. It's like, there's a silence. Like, oh, hey, what's going on? She's like, oh, I'm just thinking. It's like, oh, okay. Well, by all means. Think away. It kind of made her seem like a genius. Actually, is how I perceived it. Not like, wow, this slowpoke has to have extra time to think because she's chugging along kind of slowly. I thought, oh wow, she's brilliant. I will let the master work <laughs> in, in doing this thinking. So you may come across as brilliant. You may come across as really, really caring about the other person. And so the odds are ever in your favor that you're only going to look good by having that silence. So even if it feels weird or awkward or comfortable or different you've got more to win than to lose most of the time by rocking and rolling with that. So great stuff from Brenda. Hope you dug it. I sure did. Again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep406. Our next guest, I hope you'll push subscribe to catch him and more. It's Ash Sadiq, and he is talking about the ingredients of inspiration, how to have more of that going on. Peace.